I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is Becky Morrison. Becky, when asked, always introduces herself first as a mom and a wife. She is a lawyer turned happiness coach, and her mission clearly is to spread joy. She believes that most people can live a happier, easier life if they get clear about what matters most to them and then develop a plan to do more of that and less of the rest. Becky's latest book, The Happiness Recipe, is out everywhere. It's a book that's very descriptive and organized in terms of the framework of steps that you can do so that you turn your life into something that is actually the life that you want, the life that makes you happy. I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Becky Morrison. You know, there is so much we can talk about, but I have to say of all your work, the one that touched me most, the one sentence that touched me most was when you were telling your story of your near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And I can't even say it. You said something that sounded like, and I was on my way to the hospital, bleeding to death, getting in and out of consciousness, and the flashes in my head were conference rooms and emails. Conference rooms and conference calls, I think is what I said, but yes. Oh my God, Becky, what is that? So you, you were a lawyer for 20 years, right? Like very senior. Yeah, I mean, so I was a litigator for four and a half years, and then I was a lawyer, but I worked kind of in a hybrid management legal role for the remaining 15 or so. So yeah. And so life became entirely in that space, conference Yeah, rooms, I mean, so that, at that moment actually happened when I was a litigator. And so I was working, you know, as many people at big law firms do, 12, 14, 16, 20-hour days. Um, mm. So most of my time was being spent in conference rooms and on conference calls and with work. And yeah, that was um, a big realization to have, was that the things that were occupying my brain cells and my time um, to such an extreme degree were things that I didn't feel were my purpose. Mm. So what happened? Why were you heading to the hospital? So I had an ectopic pregnancy, um, which is a pregnancy that's outside the uterus and it ruptured. Mm. How do we get to that point, Becky? I mean, how do we... I mean, I, by the way, I'm not blaming you. Oh, no, no. I, I remember how often... I mean, when, when my wonderful, wonderful ex-wife was given birth... She literally called me at the office of the undersecretary of the Ministry of Labor because I was in a meeting, important for my company at the time. And what I I remember, actually, and I'm so sorry, Nibel, I asked, so is it happening right now? Like right now, do I have to leave right now or can I finish the meeting? And oh my God, how crazy do we become about work? Why do we end up in that place? I mean, only answer for myself, although I've seen it with other people. I think we end up in that place because we get so absorbed by the shoulds. 
for me, it was I should get an advanced degree. So that's going to be business school or law school. Now I'm a lawyer. I should work at a big law firm. I should be willing to give my whole life away now so that later I can be partner and have (laughs) the rewards. You know, I think it just becomes this like almost momentum that we can't escape because we're working so hard. We're spending so much time. We don't even have the space or bandwidth to really take stock of what matters to us or whether this is what matters to us because we're so busy doing it. We just don't give ourselves the space to reflect. Mm, And in your work, you obviously say that the very, very, very first step to anything that leads to happiness eventually, you start with awareness. You start with this brutal honesty with yourself somehow. Yeah. I mean, so for me, there's sort of two steps of awareness that are crucial. The first is being aware of I call it the season, but the container, the place that your life is in. So really getting comfortable with the constraints and the reality of where you're sitting today. And then the second thing is really taking stock of what is in your life, what's taking your time and energy and beginning to connect with, is that important to me? Do those things that are taking my time, my energy and my resources actually matter to me? So it's this sort of external placement and then internal connection. So I I love, I love the term season. And I will confess in front of everyone, when I started to study your work and I understood the meaning of the word season, I started to tell myself, and what season am I in? Because in reality, I mean, I've done a lot of work on myself. So I'm naturally, naturally very peaceful. But yes, even then, Sometimes something happens in your life, a bit of extra work, a bit of uh, relationship. My daughter is now finishing university and moving to Europe. That's a mega season. Yes. I need to become aware fully of this. What, What is a season? It's not spring and winter, is it? No, it's not. It's really exactly what you've identified. Sort of the seasons are defined by the people and things that are most important to us and the constraints that we have on our ability to do things. And so some seasons we choose and some seasons happen to us. And I think what the world has gone through over the course of 2020 and 2021 is a great example of a season that is not one we picked, right? But there are absolute limitations to what we can do based on the season that the world is in. And so then within that, right, we all also have seasons that we're in personally, as you point out, you know, it might be things that are happening in our family or with our careers or with our health that also define the season and define or might impact what our priorities are during that season. A season is not a specific period of time, right? It's not. (laughs) It could last for 10 years and it could last for a week, right? That's right. So how often do you do that? I mean, I know in your in your work of awareness, you sort of follow a bit of a brutal approach to honesty with your own self, right? It's like there is no point, even though we fake in front of everyone else, there's no point faking to our own selves. How is that in your own experience? Well, I think when it comes to seasons, which I think is where you started that question, to me, I'll talk about in my own life, when I start to feel sort of tension or unsettlement or unhappiness, that's when I take the first thing I look at is, has my season changed in some important way? Interesting. Right? So it's not that it's always something outside of us to blame or always our season to blame, but that's where I start. 
Am I not adjusting to the fact that the world has changed? And I'll give you a, a silly example, but it was very real for my myself and my husband. When we had our daughter, we spent the first three months, maybe longer of parenthood, really struggling with adapting to the fact that we couldn't socialize with our friends in the same way that we used to. Well, I was pregnant for nine months. This was not a surprise. And yet, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we hadn't adapted to what that season change would mean. And so that's, a, again, a silly example, but it's, I think so many of us are walking through life sort of the analogy I use is we're in winter without our winter coat. Like we haven't accepted that this is what the season that we're in. We haven't even noticed that our season has changed and that we might need to adapt our priorities as a result. And so the first signal in your view is that you may be settled and okay and things are fine. Of course, there are ups and downs, but things are generally fine. And then when you suddenly feel that your emotions have changed, then the first question is, has my season changed? Is my life circumstance different in a way that is causing this change in my emotions? Yes. I think that's very, very clever. There are some of us, however, that have never really gotten to that point of settling, right? You know, like you, and I say that, of course, with a lot of respect, like you, going through 20 years of low school and, you know, work and so on and so forth, and not noticing that this in its entirety might not have been the season you wanted to be in at all. Yes and no. I mean, so the way that I look at my career path is I enjoyed being a litigator for the first year that I did it because I was not a mom yet. Mm -hmm. And it really didn't, the tension didn't come until I realized, oh, I can't give the practice of law the focus that I want to give it and give being a mom the focus I want to give it. And so there's tension there. And then I entered a season where I, as I told you, had this job that was hybrid management and legal, and that gave me a lot more time freedom. So actually, it was very satisfying for a period of time. And then I realized, okay, now I have two children, they've grown up a little bit, their needs of my time and my energy are different. And I'm no longer, this season is no longer about having a job that sustains our family, but gives me time flexibility. Now it's time to go back to investing in something that has purpose to me. And so again, it's adapting to that flow and shift over time and recognizing that, again, I'll keep using the word, that your priorities change as your seasons change. And that is how it is meant to be. There is no point resisting at all. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to my lovely daughter the other day saying exactly that, saying, look, baby, because my startup is in a very demanding time, very, very successful, but very demanding time. And at the same time, I'm writing, I'm recording slow-mo, I'm, you know, publicly speaking, I'm doing all of the other stuff that I do in One Billion Happy. And for a short while, I started to say, this is a little, this is not what I wanted. Why am I not in the Caribbean somewhere sitting on the beach and recording slow-mo, right? <laughs> and, and, and in reality, it, you know, the, the realization is, no, hold on, hold on. This matters to me. I mean, hopefully my startup will have a very positive impact on the world. So I, I want that. I want mm -hmm. that. But I need to notice that there is a difference in my life. I need to notice that there is a need for me to change and acknowledge that and then relook at my life, which I think is what you in the happiness recipe say very clearly. Relook at my life with a, a bit of an awareness to say, what matters to me now? now? Let's talk about that idea of what matters. Because I have to say, if I look at your Instagram, for example, you seem to be not shy of shattering some of the 
of the conditioning that happens to us, like what we're told should matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. And there's so much of it. We grow up from almost birth being told how to be a human. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Without ever really being afforded the opportunity to say, how do I want to show up in the world? Who do I want to be? What impact do I want to have? What do I want my life to be about? What do I want to see when I'm in that near-death experience? What is meaningful to me? And we hear so many stories, or I've heard so many stories of people who reach end of life. I mean, those are the posts that go viral, right? Like someone's at end of life and they're talking about, they, they figured out what actually matters. And I just look at that and say, I don't want to wait until the end to decide what mattered. I want to think about that every day along the path. And how I can live in a way that's aligned with what's important to me. And that I get to decide what that is and not have to worry so much about what everyone else says it should be. Aren't those things clear? I mean, silly of me to say that because maybe maybe I am conditioned too. But aren't they normally, I mean, when we ask, isn't it always about experiences and time with the people that we love and family and connection and so on? Is it not always the case that these are the things that matter? I think those are often things that matter for people. But I mean, you just talked about your building a business. And what I heard you say is how important the impact that's going to have is to you. Not everyone is driven by impact in the same way or by the same impact. Like I can think of some very talented people that I worked with in the last law firm that I worked at who were amazing attorneys and their value came, truly came from the practice of law. I was a good attorney. I was quite capable of it. I got no value from or very little value from that exercise, right? And so I think it is, I mean, yes, there are some sort of fundamental realities that connection can matter, family can matter, love ultimately matters. But when I think about how we navigate each chapter of our lives, it can be different for different people. So how do I find out? I mean, if if one of our listeners says, yeah, I mean, I believe that my season has changed. I believe that there are certain things to me that matters that I'm not addressing. What's the exercise? What, What should they do to find out? I mean, there's a couple ways that I approach it when I'm working with people. And there's a couple ways that I talk about it in my book. The first is just simply to take stock of what's actually taking your energy and time right now. And to look at those things, and when I say take stock, I mean in a very tangible way. Put it somewhere you can see it, whether that's on post-it notes on a wall, on a document on your computer, or on a piece of paper in front of you. And then really look at that list and think about the things that, there's a couple words I'll use when I'm asking clients about this, the things that feed your soul, the things that feel expansive to you, the things that put a smile on your face, circle those. Now let's look at that list and think about the things that give you that horrible gut feeling or that racing heart or the, you know, like the stress in your shoulders. And let's highlight those. Very simply, do more of the circled things and less of the highlighted things. (laughs) Interesting. Even if the circled things are going to, sorry, the highlighted things are there because of a long-term goal of being a millionaire or buying a car or whatever. Maybe. I mean, so that's a great lead into the other thing that I think can be really interesting, which is really dialing into your essential sources of joy. And so I'll take your example of the long-term goal of being a millionaire. 
If a client was sitting in front of me and told me that, I would say, awesome. What is it about being a millionaire that you think will make you happy? Me, nothing at all. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But I mean, but, and you didn't say that was your goal. But, and so they're, they're going to have an answer, right? Well, with money, I'll have more freedom. Okay, what is it about freedom that will make you happy? Well, if I'm free, I can sit on the beach in the Caribbean. What is it about sitting on the beach in the Caribbean that will make you happy? Well, it's warm and I like the beach. What is it about the warmth and the beach, again, that'll make you happy? And I'll ask that seven or eight times and we'll get down to that thing that is really where your joy comes from. Mm. And so I'll give you an example of a conversation I had recently with somebody. We had exactly this conversation. What makes you happy? And he said, well, I'm always happy when I'm on vacation. Great. What is it about vacation? Well, I'm with my family. You know, we're in a warm place. Great. What else is it about? So we got all the way to, and he said, you know what it is? Usually we vacation at my family's house in Florida. And there is a spot in the corner of the pool where I can sit quietly every morning and look at the beautiful scenery and think about my life. And I have such peace and such happiness in that moment. And my response to that was, awesome. Why do you have to wait till you go to Florida to do that? Absolutely. But we don't even know these things, right? Like we know it in the moment. We know I'm here and I'm happy. But we don't think about it as sort of, can I distill it down to these essences of my joy and then apply drops here and there in my life today? So it's sort of coming at the problem or coming at the question from two different angles. But I think that's a way to start to identify if your goal of being a millionaire is one of those things that you've highlighted and it's not bringing you joy and it's actually causing you stress. It's time to think hard about what it is about that goal that could bring you joy. And if it's not bringing you joy or meaning, why is it a goal? Oh, that's the million dollars question. Why do we set those goals? I mean, this is so clear. I love that you surround it from both sides. So one side is, I call it the Marie Kondo approach. It's like, <laughs> it is right? You, you tidy up your life. You look at things and you say, look, those seven things make me really happy. Those six things make me really you know, miserable. Yep. Can I do more of the seven and less of the six? Right. And sometimes it's so obvious that, you know, two of the six you can actually do without completely like this annoying friend or that part-time thing that you signed up for. That's not really worth it. Right. Yeah. Very, very easy. But I also love the analysis of what's the real source of my joy. Would it be fair to say, Becky, that most of the things that we do don't bring us joy at all. We just do them. I mean, so much of what we do, we do because of habit or because we're so busy, we're not thinking. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that's possible. And then you took a decision in your life to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I will actually change. I'll go from the potential of being a partner at a law firm to the potential of being a happiness coach and author of a successful book and spreading a message while I actually do something that I love. Yeah. The thinking, there is not only the depth of the thinking behind that, but there is a bit of courage. There is, didn't you feel scared? It's like, oh, I'm going to lose all of that income. My peers are going to be ahead of me. Sure. There's always those considerations. But I mean, I'll take the last thing you said. My peers are going to be ahead of me. Ahead of me by what measure? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And I left law firm practice and a really successful, relatively lucrative career to go and try my hand at entrepreneurial finance, which was also successful and lucrative, but decided 
that the organization I was at was not growing the way that we thought it would. And so made a mutual decision that it was time to go and very quickly went to, oh, I'm a lawyer with a ton of management experience. Let's go get law slash management jobs again. And then as I applied for everything that I was capable of, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This doesn't even feel fun. (laughs) Haven't I earned the right to explore a little bit and figure out what could be a fit for me? And so that's how I landed on coaching. And I decided to get my certification at UC Berkeley. They have an executive coaching institute. And one of the exercises they do at the very beginning of the the process is called a soul portrait. And they ask you a series of questions. And they asked me, what is your purpose? And I said to spread joy. As a lawyer, that doesn't really work. (laughs) And this was not a thought, a conscious thought I had had. I had no idea where that came from, but it felt very true. And so that really launched me on, okay, if what I'm here to do is spread joy, how am I going to do that? What does that look like? Where do I want to focus my work? Where do I want to focus my energy? Where do I want to focus my thought? And that has been, being connected to that purpose has been a helpful barometer of how, you know, a GPS, how do I make these decisions? Where do I go? How do I build this business? So I will add, and another piece of inspiration in all of this is my husband, who had a long career in counterterrorism, which culminated in working at the White House under Obama. I use the word retired, but retired from the government and now coaches high school basketball. I love that. Because he wants to make an impact on young people. And so I had that to look at to say, oh, here's somebody who's taken this brave transition out of necessity. He needed he needed a break. He needed to step back. He needed to do some of his own healing, but also who is so much healthier and happier as a result. And so that was like, I had this thing to look at to say, yeah, no, I'm going to try this. He got to do that. I'm going to try this too. And so that was helpful as well. I love this, by the way, and I, I really, really, I mean, it's so timely for me because in this conversation, I just said, oh, but my business has such a positive impact on the world. You know, when your husband is working on the safety of a nation and then working on the basketball skills and the fun of children, what actually makes one better than the other? Why do we tell ourselves that there are certain things? I mean, children are amazing. And if one of them becomes a, a well-versed, you know, champion of basketball who is really, really a good person, maybe that will have a much wider impact, right? How do we find out? I mean, when you talk about purpose, it came to you, but for others, it's not that clear. That's right. And I, I think... I got lucky because you're right, purpose came to me. But it also, I think we get hung up on this idea that we have to always have, that purpose always has to be something big. When I stopped litigating and went to become, made this shift just to the other side of law firms on the more admin side, the short statement was I was a mom first. Mm. So that's a purpose too, right? Mm. And I think we discount those kinds of purposes, you know, that I am trying to think of a good other example, but I think we discount the kinds of purposes that that aren't impact a billion lives or spread joy or that we somehow say like, just showing up and being a really good you isn't a purpose. That's a purpose too, right? So like, let's allow purpose to be flexible in size over our lifetime as well. Mm. I can't agree more, Becky. Again, 
my ex who who was a brilliant brilliant engineer you know we fell in love because of how smart she is and when we had our kids she was probably just by definition a mother so she said look i'm gonna stop i'm gonna dedicate time for them i'm grateful that you're working so you're bringing in the income i'm looking at my kids and I will tell you openly, everything that I am today is because of her. It's because of she raised them. She raised my son in a way that that really, really taught me so much about myself and about my mm. life. You know, she raised my daughter in a way that really taught me so much about love and, you know, the feminine side. And she raised me in a way, believe it or <laughs> not, that, yeah, that that made me responsible and empowered. And I think... All of that, if you ask me, without it, I wouldn't be talking about business. I wouldn't have a podcast. I wouldn't have, and in an interesting way, I think she had a much wider and bigger impact than I did. Because obviously without her, I would have had none, right? And we forget those things because we are in that TED Talk mentality where everything has to be, I, if I can't present it in front of a million people and you know get a billion likes, then it's not worthy. Yes. It's crazy when we think about things this way. I think you hit the nail on the head, right? We're stuck on measuring impact or measuring purpose in the obvious measures. So did I make a lot of money? Did I go viral? If I didn't do those things, I haven't had the impact. But as you point out, often we don't see the full scope of our impact. Mm. I think we can all probably think of, for example, coaches and teachers that we've had who were very impactful to our development. Exactly. Have we gone back and told every single one of them, hey, third grade teacher, I still remember you. You were meaningful to who I became. We don't. I know we don't, right? And so you may never know the full impact that you've had. And if you don't meet these other sort of externally validated measures, then how do you know that your impact is quote unquote good enough? Mm. But I think it's always good enough. I agree. Yeah, I think through six degrees of separation, eventually everything that you leave in the world will reach the entire world somehow, you know, maybe in 50 years or 100 years, but it will be everywhere. I want to talk about some of the statements on your Instagram. Oh, goodness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, So you say, let it be easy, have fun and stay in your comfort zone. That one completely got my attention. Something like comfort zone equals success or something like that. I don't remember, but basically you're against the idea of kill yourself and squeeze yourself dry to achieve those material successes. Is that true? That is largely true, right? I think there is what I see a lot of is this hustle culture, right? That I can Mm. measure my worth by how much work I'm putting in. And I think that loses sight of the fact that success doesn't have to feel so difficult. Mm. In fact, I was just reading, and I don't know if you're familiar with this person, but there's a show on HDTV, Chip and Joanna Gaines are these people who design homes. And I was just reading an interview, I think it was an entrepreneur magazine with Chip Gaines. And his background is that he is a a craftsman. He's a work with his hands, carpenter, construction guy. And he talked about sort of making the transition from being that to being somebody who earned money without always feeling exhausted at the end of the day, feeling physically spent, without his hands being so rough. And just adapting to the idea that success didn't have to be painful, (laughs) 
was a big one for him. But I think we all kind of fall victim to that, that there's this idea of like, I mean, how many people, when you ask them, how are you? They say, I'm good, but I'm so busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a way of life. And we were busy like this badge of honor. Like, I must be doing it right because I'm so busy. I don't think life has to feel (laughs) that way, right? I think we have a choice. And when we begin to do more of this focused living in what matters to us, and we cut out some of the noise that makes us feel overwhelmed and busy and, and pulled in too many directions, we can actually have a life that is both successful, full, but not overflowing and not so darn hard. You know, it's okay. I think I want to go to sleep every night feeling like I've spent all my energy. That feels good to me. But going to sleep every night exhausted and waking up exhausted, that doesn't feel good to me. And I don't think that's how we're wired to live. It basically means that you're doing too many things that you shouldn't be doing, right? Correct. Which brings me to one of your policies, if you want, which is to say no enough. Yes. You have to be able to not just pick the things that you're going to do, but also pick the things that you're going to say no to. And I think this is really important. Yeah. So to answer that question, if you think back to sort of that map I suggested that you do of your life to take stock, if you just did that map, and then I asked you, what else do you want in your life? And you just started adding things, right? That is a surefire recipe for overwhelm. You have to also subtract. And we are not very good as a world at saying no. We are from, again, from birth, taught that there are certain people whom you don't say no to, right? You grow up like you're not saying no to your parents, even though for many children, at least in the U.S., one of their first early words is no. We, we, we like train that right out of people, right? You know, no, you're going to do what I tell you. No, you're going to eat what I tell you. No, you're going to go where I tell you. And so I just think we've lost the art that no is just almost as important as yes, maybe more important. It's just critical that you subtract the things from your world that are not serving you, that are not advancing your goals, qualify that, your meaningful goals. And it takes thought and it takes energy and it takes exercising a muscle that we're not familiar with. And so I would just say, if you aren't saying no to something virtually every day, you probably aren't saying no enough. Oh, so that's the measure. So every day. I just made that up. I mean, I don't have a measure. I have, I'm not a scientist and I haven't done a scientific study, but I do feel like I like to reflect daily on what did I say no to today? Mm. Because I think it's important to check in and make sure that I am saying no. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I mean, you speak of several gaps and I love all of them. So this, this goes to the effort gap, right? So the idea of how much effort am I putting behind things that really matter. Can we talk about those quickly? I I love the effort gap, the emotional. Yes. You call it the emotional energy gap and the authenticity gap. Yes. So you've taken them in the in the backwards order that I think of them, but but the way that I think about happiness and it starts here is and I think I've said this already, do more of what matters and less of the rest. That's sort of my formula for maximum happiness. But I've identified a framework where there's sort of three gaps that stop us from doing that. The first, as you point out, is the authenticity gap. And that is where we aren't being honest with ourselves or with other people about what actually matters to us and what doesn't matter to us. And we've already talked a little bit about how you close that gap. 
I want to skip the middle gap, the emotional energy gap. You mentioned it. I want to come back there because we often skip it as people. We go right from knowing Mm. what we want to trying to do it. And I actually like the way you talked about it. You called it the effort gap. The effort gap. I like that better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the physical, but it's the same idea, right? It's this idea of are we matching our time, energy, and resources, our capacity to the things that matter most to us? Or, you know, so that's where we get into things like prioritization and saying no. This middle gap that gets missed, I call it the emotional energy gap, but it's really the mindset gap. It's do we have the supportive beliefs and feelings that will allow us to take what we know matters to us and actually do it? And we don't spend a lot of time there. And so what we get is a lot of repeating loops. Like I want to, I want to be healthier. So I go and try and be healthier, but I haven't bothered to think about how I think about health, what my mindset around being healthy is. Do I believe I'm worth putting in the effort to be healthy? All of that stuff is in the middle. And if we don't address it, it just invites us to revert back to not actually following through from a physical energy or effort perspective. So all of those are not, are not just the external environment around us. They are the way we see the world, right? A hundred percent. Even though you can start to become authentic about who you really are and what you really want, you know, that's not good enough because I may want to be, I don't know, um, more present for my family, but then I am also conditioned in my mind that slow-mo is very important because my extended family of tens of thousands of listeners matter as much, right? And of course, you guys matter. I'm I'm not saying you don't, but as an example here, (laughs) this requires reflection, right? It requires that my emotions are set properly based on my values and beliefs, which are not always discovered as well. That's right. And which can change as your life changes. And I think you've talked about sort of the experience of being a parent. But for me, becoming a parent radically shifted the way I looked at the world. I think that's pretty common. But if we don't sit down and sort of take stock of that, it can be easy to miss those changes mm. and miss what they mean. And and I think you've been through it right now. You have a daughter who's about to graduate university. And it'll change again. You know, the world you're wanting to build for her and the world she's building for herself are different than they were five, six, ten years ago. You make it seem so simple when I I think about (laughs) it. Is it simple? I mean, in that very clear order, is it simple? I mean, is that something that people can actually do? You believe that it's doable? I believe it's eminently doable. I believe it's super simple. Simple is not easy always. Uh So it does take effort. It does take reflection. It does take intentionality. It can feel really strange and weird if you haven't done it before. But it is actually, I mean, this goes to your point. You brought up what I said on Instagram. It is actually easier than we let it be. Hmm. I really love that statement. I mean, I try to tell that to people. I try to say that if you ask a fitness trainer, they'll make it look like fitness is a little more complex than it is because it's their specialty, right? You have to exercise that muscle, exactly moving that finger this way with your ear, tilting a little to the left and so on. But in reality, at the bigger macro picture, it isn't. It's make it a priority and work out or exercise or walk or do something, right? And I think the idea that happiness has to be complicated is actually comes from the same place. I don't know why we make it so complicated. It can be very simple. I think in part it's because we spend so much of our life being rewarded for being able to take on complicated and hard things. 
<laughs> and so we've got this mistaken belief that if it's not complicated and hard, it probably isn't worth it. So if we let happiness be uncomplicated, then is happiness worth it, right? Like we could write a whole set of equations for that. So interesting. Why it doesn't add up. But I mean, I will often ask my clients in a one-on-one coaching situation, you know, we'll get to a point where they're feeling a little stuck and I'll just say, well, how could it be easier? And asking people to give themselves permission to let it be easy, you know, to take the easy path or to demystify it or uncomplicated or, you know, that it doesn't have to have 12 steps. It can just have two. (laughs) It's a powerful thought shift that can make really meaningful change. Because once again, do more of what matters. Of the 12 steps, there are probably two that matter, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Like, do you really need steps six through 12? Mm, Actually, you're right. I don't. I just feel like I should. Well, mm, we're not going to do them then. Let's not do that. Well, I don't know what to tell you, Becky. I'm so glad you're no longer a lawyer. Uh, Me too. (laughs) I I think your methodic mind at addressing this is actually quite a wonderful addition to our family of those who want to spread joy. And it's such an honor, such a pleasure to speak to you. And I'm so grateful for your time today. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. And I haven't had the chance to read your book yet, but I ordered it and I'm excited to dig in. I think it's super cool that you took your engineering background and sort of overlaid it. And it's funny because I think I did the same thing, right? Like I I operated in frameworks for my career. And so I said, okay, what's the framework here? And so I just think it's neat to have have that parallel and have different ways to think about it because we need to find the way to think about it that works for us. Yes. And so I appreciate what you're doing. Totally agree. I, I have to admit, when I you know started to observe your work, I thought that's a very, very welcome addition because, again, happiness, unfortunately, is often spoken about from a mystical point of view. And I think concrete framework approaches would make it a lot, uh, a lot easier. So I'm asking everyone to actually take a look at Becky's book, The Happiness Recipe. I think you'll find a lot of value there. And I, at the same time, think that you gave us a lot to think about today. If you like my book, then please tell everyone about it. If you don't, yes. just tell me. Tell me <laughs> only, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Becky. And we will talk again soon. Thanks, Mo. I appreciate it. Oh, I really liked that conversation. It's so simple and straightforward. So I have some homework to do here. I have to work on my season, because I have to admit to you very openly that many things have changed in my life in the last year since, you know, last year was about being half monk and this year is so engaged and busy in so many things. I think that's a very interesting season. I think, you know, the idea of authenticity, of really being honest, writing down the things that you put your time into and circling the ones that make you happy and highlighting the ones that don't. I found that to be a very, very interesting approach. Of course, coupled with the other approach of asking yourself what truly brings you joy, not the, not the, the flashy stuff at the top, but dig deeper and ask yourself the question, what's in it that's bringing you joy until you get there. I think the idea of working on your emotional energy gap and all of the beliefs and obstacles that you may have that you need to take out of the way. And then of course, finally the effort gap removing things 
and adding others and really just making life easy if you want. A simple formula for happiness, if you ask me. You know, it took Becky from being a lawyer to being here to teach us what she has discovered about happiness, from being bleeding to death and thinking about work to actually thinking about what matters to her and her purpose in life. I hope you take some of those steps too, and I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you did, please share it with others and help me spread the message. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so yet. It really makes a difference if you leave a nice, kind comment. Also, please send me what you think. Find me on social media. Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram is where I'm most active, but also Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, mo.gaudet.official on uh, Facebook and mgaudet on Twitter. And uh, yeah, find time to think about what matters to you because as Becky said, most of us never actually stop to reflect. And as I always say, regardless of how busy you are today, there is always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.